Hello team and welcome to episode 414 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Chad Hufford for the second time. Chad is a financial planner and owner of the financial planning firm Veritas Wealth Management. Chad and I had an incredible conversation during the first episode and covered everything from getting yourself out of a financially challenging position all the way to investing your money wisely. And in this episode, we dig even deeper into the mindset side of things when it comes to your finances and how you can truly forge financial freedom. In this episode, you can expect to learn how to start having open conversations conversations about money with your partner, how to be mentally strong enough to stay on track in the long term with your finances, along with how to avoid the temptations such as Amazon, Uber Eats, and online trends to stay on track with your financial goals. So without further ado, Chad Hufford. Chad Hufford, welcome back to the show. How are you today, man? I'm doing great, Elliot. Great first conversation a few months ago and really looking forward to talking to you again. It's a pleasure being back here. Likewise, it's a pleasure to have you back. And the first episode went down very, very well. I got some feedback from my audience and they were actually particularly interested about your lifestyle and how you manage things as well. So I'm looking to diving into that a little bit more today. But since we've last spoke, what have you been working on? Well, I am about to launch my first book, Forging Financial Freedom, that'll be released in November. So probably about the time this episode is coming out, actually not released, but it'll be available for for pre-order. So I've got a special thing I'm going to do for your audience. I'll I'll explain it at the end of the show, but that's been a lot of what I've been working on and, and ties into a lot of our previous conversation because it's this book is really about mindset and and perspective more than tools and tactics because just like there's a lot of exercises, there's a lot of diets that will get people into shape. There's a lot of strategies that can build wealth and financial freedom. But if you don't have the right mindset, if you don't have the right intentionality, if you don't have the patience, the discipline, people aren't going to be able to execute those steps long enough to get the results. So that's what this book is really focusing on is training our perspective, training our brain and building good habits to be able to execute relentlessly for the months, years, and even decades necessary to, to build good habits, to build uh, an abundant life. Yeah, I love that. And one of the concepts that we've spoken about off air, which is very, very well integrated into your book, is truth over tradition. And you mentioned the relentless nature of putting in the work year after year after year to get yourself into this position of financial freedom. And I'm curious about how we get people to essentially commit to that path. And I think that the one thing that people are very good at is they are great at doing short bursts of excellence followed by long periods of mediocrity. So they got this idea of like what success could look like, but they can never hold on to it for long enough. And they continue to go back into their previous behavior patterns, their previous coping mechanisms and comfort zones. How can we avoid getting into that trap when it comes to our financial life and our spending habits? Well, it carries over into fitness goals as well. So what I'm about to say is going to be true of finances, fitness, people building a business, building relationships. We talked a little bit this offline, Elliot, but it's being willing to start small and allowing time to work for you. And people that are successful at anything typically do on a regular basis 
what most people do only occasionally. So they do consistently what most people do occasionally. And you think about it, it's not mind blowing to get up early in the morning and go for a run or to cut out dessert or to eat, uh, you know, some few more vegetables. I mean, it's, these are things we all know will help, but they don't make a huge impact right away. And that's where people lose patience is they want a quick turnaround. They want a parade or fanfare confetti to fall from the sides and oh my goodness, like, look, look what you did. And, and that'd be great. Like, that'd be awesome. Every time I made a good health decision, if a band played and you know, orchestra played and, and celebrated that, but it doesn't happen. So we need to be willing to celebrate those small victories, those small wins and start stringing those together. Cause one day of saving money, one day of paying off debt, one day of eating healthy, one day of exercising, isn't going to change your life. Skipping one day of those things isn't going to destroy your life, but no. the, the impact happens when you start stringing a lot of those days together and when an action and a decision turns into a habit, that's when the trajectory of your life changes, either for the good or for the negative. So being willing to start small and also looking for small negative habits because the opposite is also true. So you can build a lot of wealth, saving just a few dollars a day. You can build a great physique, making just small changes in your diet. But the opposite is also true. If you give up a little ground, if you add in some bad habits, you can undo a great physique, you can undo great health habits, you can undo wealth. So it's those little things that add up over time, either work for you or against you. Yeah. And something that kind of that brings me on to is the path less traveled. And I remember when I did more work in the gym, I was a personal trainer and I would countlessly and easily get in my present, my own physical training sessions on a day-to-day -day basis. It was pretty much no effort at all. You know, my environment led to that, but also I had the community of 13 to 15 other personal trainers who at some point during their day were going to go put in a workout as well. However, now that I'm an online coach and, you know, I'm pretty much left to my own devices, I don't have that same level of environment, there's a little bit more accountability on myself. It isn't as easy as it was. And I remember my clients used to come in and they were like, ah, Leah, you know, it's easy for you. You just go downstairs. You've got a ton of people wanting to train with you. And I was like, okay, like I get your point here because if a lot of people aren't encouraged by their community and their surroundings as well. And I can imagine that is quite often the case with our finances too, right? Like a lot of people are generally making reckless decisions with their money. And it's not spoken about either. Like it's the same with the health and fitness too. Like no one really says, maybe they do say, ah, oh, we shouldn't be getting this cookie or this cake or whatever, but everyone's happy to plan the meal out at the restaurant that they know isn't going to be full of healthy decisions. And it's the same as people's finances as well. So how much does our community and our surroundings play a role in us staying on the path that we know is going to lead us to success, but ultimately isn't the path that a lot of our peers and our friends and our family are on with us? Great question and great perspective there. So you talk about managing our environment. It's really hard to manage habits and behavior if we aren't managing our environment. We might, kind of what you already alluded to, like we start doing the right thing for a little while, but we don't keep up with it. Yeah. So in order to sustain good long-term behavior, we have to have a supportive environment. That's our physical environment. So if you're trying to eat healthy, no, you shouldn't have Skittles and potato chips and all that sitting over here. If Linda has a desk at work that always has donuts sitting on top of it, probably don't walk by Linda's desk on your way to the bathroom. Take a different route. Like we have to manage our physical environments and our communities as well. Like if you're trying to get fit, this sounds really bad, but hanging out with unhealthy people all the time is not going to help. 
they're going to pull you down the wrong path. If you're trying to build wealth, quit hanging out with broke people. It's amazing how many people take wealth building advice from people who are broke. It boggles my mind. And again, same thing goes in fitness as well. We take advice from people who are like us rather than from the people who we want to become. Or in another way of looking at that is we follow what everybody else is doing, but we expect results that are rare and unique. So we have to be willing to break tradition and follow truth. And, and really what it is, it's daring to be different. So if mm -hmm. I want results that other people aren't getting, I have to be willing to do the things that other people aren't doing. And it can be lonely. And that's to your point about community. Like you've got to find like-minded people because it's hard when it feels like you're the only one doing it and you're making these sacrifices, you're making these intentional decisions. Everybody else is enjoying pleasure in the moment. You're trying to pursue purpose in the future, but it doesn't take a huge community. It just takes a few people like-minded around you to help you re-engineer your environment encourage you, give you that dose of discipline and perseverance when, when you feel like giving in. But yeah, managing environment is huge. Again, both physical environment, but also relational environments. And just think of it from a financial standpoint, you know, you're trying to build for the future, but you have all these ads popping up on your phone, on the computer, and it's buy now, buy one click. Like Amazon makes it so easy for us to buy things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. And it's like one click, like boom, it's over. You have to think about it. It's almost a knee-jerk reaction. And then on the same token, people are watching the news, all the horrible things, awful things go on in our world. It's scary. It gives us a scarcity mindset. It makes us fearful. It certainly doesn't make us want to invest when we hear about how the economy and all these scary things that could happen, that might happen, Armageddon might be coming, the end of the world, apocalypse, like all this stuff. That's not the right way to build a long-term mindset, but we expose ourselves to that on a continual basis and then wonder why we can't make good, sustainable, long-term decisions. Yeah, I'm very interested about that piece of shaping our physical environment as well, because it kind of makes sense to me with the health and fitness side of things. If you can try and have your gym nearby or you know close to your work, when it comes to your kitchen, let's keep those cupboards with the foods that we genuinely want to be consuming and keep anything that we don't want to be consuming on a regular basis, you know, as far as it can be, essentially. I think that, like you mentioned, with how easy Amazon makes it, Uber Eats and all these other things make it so easy for us to consume unhealthy foods now. So like I've spoken to people before, and we've kind of got to work against the algorithm of life because the algorithm of life would yes. probably have you be overweight and broke to be completely honest. So you do have to, like you said, go against the grain there and choose your own path. So how do we shape our physical environment to essentially aid our goals when it comes to our financial well-being? Okay, so I just got chills when you said that because life is designed to make us fat and broke. You're absolutely right. Okay. Society today in developed nations, the culture here right now is designed to keep us fat and broke. And we have to be willing to fight against that. So. Yeah, number one is just that willingness to be different. Like I said, dare to be different. But making healthy habits easier and making harmful habits harder is essential. So, you know, maybe that's erasing your credit card information from your web browser, which mm -hmm. not only protects you from a financial <laughs> standpoint, people like hacking your information, but also protects you from you, not just from people phishing and trying to get your credit card info, but it makes it harder for you to spend that money impulsively. Maybe even locking your credit cards in a safe. So you have to go in there, you still have access, but you have to go in there, you don't keep them with you 
every time you leave the house. And you know, maybe you leave a certain amount of money in cash or in your Apple wallet or something like that. So you can spend a little bit, but it makes it harder to, to do those impulse buys, reducing your credit limit. There's going to be some people like, what you reduce your credit limit. That's going to hurt your credit score. All a credit score does is help you get in more debt easier. So a credit score is not our goal here, right? It's financial independence and eventually get in a point where you don't need a credit score at all because you're never going to need to borrow money again. But if you reduce, let's say you got a credit card with a $10,000 limit, you reduce it to 1500. You might have to gradually pay that off even throughout the month. And it forces you, it confines you to stay within some guidelines, some guardrails. Mm -hmm. Like a diet does, you know, a diet doesn't tell you, you can't ever enjoy food. It just says, Hey, you got to keep it within these guardrails. So you don't go off the path. A budget does the same thing. A budget tells your money where to go. So you don't have to wonder where it went. Just like a meal plan tells you what you're going to eat. So you're not reacting impulsively to what's around you. Elliot, I think we talked about this last time. I've got a subway right over here. I've got a McDonald's right over here. Like I'm surrounded by people making bad health decisions all day long, but I bring my meals to work. Actually today I'm fasting, but most days I bring my meals to work and I make them the night before my wife helps me. And I've already decided. I've already decided on, on Wednesday what I'm going to eat Thursday. I've decided on Thursday what I'm going to eat Friday. Does it mean I can't break my diet? No, but I've decided in advance what I'm going to do. I've smoothed out the healthy path by making those meals, setting it aside. And by not having a credit card with me, I make the difficult path harder. I have to go into my car, into my gym bag, get my credit card, and then I can walk across the street and buy Subway. I'm not going to do that. It's too nope. many steps. So anytime you can eliminate steps towards the bad habit, like I said, clear your credit card history. You have to go find your purse, find your wallet, get your credit card, type it in. That might all seem insignificant, but what it does, it slows you down long enough, just long enough for the prefrontal cortex. That's the logic reasoning part of our brain to catch up with the emotional part of our brain. So Amazon, and, and that's not just Amazon, but we can pick on them here. <laughs> Amazon has made it easier for us to make emotional impulse buys. And if you look at functional MRI scans of people who are in a heightened emotional sense or heightened emotional state, the blood flow and the activity in the reasoning part of the brain actually goes down. So mm. by, by adding in steps, it allows us to have the thinking part of our brain catch up the emotional part of our brain and hopefully slow us down a little bit. Another thing we can do is automate good decisions. So. If I have to wake up at the beginning of every month and decide I'm going to fund my investments, I'm going to put money into my IRA or my mutual funds or whatever, I have to make that decision every single month. If you can automate that where it comes out of your checking account and goes just like your mortgage payment or something, it goes into those yep. funds automatically. Or if you have an employer plan at work where your employer can take money out of your paycheck and put it into an account before you even get it, you have a chance to spend it. And you made that decision once. Yeah. You don't have to make it every paycheck. It happens automatically. So we want to make harder things a little bit easier to do. It'll never be easy to save for the future. It'll never be easy to pay off debt. It'll be never be easy to wake up in the morning and go exercise. But if we can make that healthy thing a little bit easier and make those bad decisions a little bit harder, we can start creating a lot better habits and sustainable change. Because like we already talked about, doesn't change your life in one day, but the, you string enough of those days together, you start building momentum. That's where life change happens. 
100%. I love that resistance piece as well. It's amazing how much harder it is once you just put one or two layers of resistance between a decision that you ultimately don't want to make. And like you mentioned, that thinking brain kicks in. And even if you are overwhelmed with guilt and kind of shame of making that decision, don't necessarily look at that as a bad thing and think, ah, oh, you know, why do I have to feel guilty every time I do this? It's like, yeah. use that to your advantage. It's like, that isn't tell you that you're a bad person or you should be ashamed of yourself. But that little bit of a feeling there, it's just data. It's just telling you, it's like a little bit yes. of an alert kind of going off and saying, hey, something's not right here. And it's then your choice of how you interpret that. You can say, ah, oh, yeah, I'm a failure. I'm, you know, I should be ashamed of myself. Or you can say, oh, actually, no, this is just a gentle reminder that I know on a very, very deep fundamental level that I made, like I'm suffering when I make these choices on a regular basis. And I may be like feeling a little bit of difficulty in the moment, but I know that I'm not creating any long-term suffering by sticking to the goals that I want to. So I think that a lot of people just need to recognize that those are not feelings that make, need to make you feel bad. They're just pieces of data that are reminding you of the choices that you've made. And if you put that like resistance in, as you mentioned, it allows you to kick in. If you can just double click that site, that button on the side of your phone and make a purchase, you don't even have time to really think about it, right? So I love that piece right. on, you know, just protecting your own environment. And a big part of that, which comes to both your environment, but also your community as well, is your partner, is your family as well. And as we mentioned in the last conversation we had, money is not an easy conversation for a lot of people to talk about. And quite often they don't talk about it. Some people keep their finances completely individual and it's only when maybe something goes bad that they end up talking about it. So how can we essentially eliminate the taboo around speaking about money, like putting it on the table, laying it out clearly with our partner, with, yeah, I guess it would mainly be our partner, but our family members, the people who necessarily need to influence our financial decisions. How can we remove that level of taboo so we can actually start having these conversations and be clear with each other so i think for a lot of people they're going to have to lead by example because mm. i think a lot of people aren't willing to do this it's going to be hard to find a community that naturally does this so you listeners out there you might have to be the change in your group and start with your closest relationships your spouse your partner you know if you have adult kids or you know if your, your parents even if they're older, but the people who you trust the most that you can be vulnerable with. And if you tell them, hey, this is what I'm struggling with financially. This is what I'm afraid of. Man, I, I see all this stuff on the news and everybody's saying all these things are going bad with the economy. And by the way, things are always going bad with the economy. There's always bad news, but it's scaring me. It makes me not want to invest. It makes me not want to save or man, I think about my financial goals and I just wonder if I'm ever going to get there. I feel like I'm going to work until I end up in the grave. You know, if you start sharing those things with your closest friends, your closest confidants, you'll be surprised how many of those people are going to be like, me too. I feel I'm you, scared yeah. of the same thing. Mm -hmm. But you have to lead. You have to start first. And again, don't do this with acquaintances. Don't do this with people who are insecure around you. But if you lead with vulnerability, a lot of other people are going to respond to that same vulnerability and you will be surprised how many people that seem like they've got it all together are struggling with the exact same things that you are. And even if they're not struggling now, have struggled in the past. Like, man, I remember when I was your age and we, we were trying to get our first house. We were trying to pay off our student loans. I know how frustrating it is. I know how scary it is. You're gonna realize a lot of people relate to you but everybody keeps it under here. Everybody is hiding it. 
And if one person can step forward and say, here's this junk, here's this stuff that I'm struggling with, they're going to show you their cards too. be like, you know what? Look, I've got the same <laughs> stuff, but it takes a lot of courage to start that process. And when you find those handful of people that you can relate to and share that stuff with, it's gold. Those are the people they become accountability partners. They become your encouragers. They become your cheerleaders. And those people to be so valuable in your life. And here's what's really cool, Elliot, is when you can find that community around you in finance, you'll be surprised how strong that community will be in other areas of your life. Because if they're holding somebody accountable for their financial decisions and they see you making bad decisions in other areas of your life, they're like, you know, Chad, you said that you wouldn't be financially independent by such and such a date, but just saw you take a huge loan to buy a boat that you don't even use or something like that. Like that doesn't make sense. They're going to call you out on other things too. Like I just noticed the way that you were talking to your wife. Like that's not in alignment with the person you said you want to become. Or Chad, you got ice cream and cheesecake dribbling down your chin. Like <clears throat> what are you doing here? You know, you're not making decisions for the person that you said you want to be. And it's, it's so important to have those people in our life. And I think like social media and screens, like we can distance ourselves from people and relationships and create this facade, but letting some people in, seeing the real you is absolutely crucial and critical. And, and one thing I do want to say too, just you talked about kind of these, the guilt and the shame people can feel and encouraging them to push past that. So number one, I want to say everybody's feeling those same things. Everybody's tempted by the same things. You're tempted. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you human. But just like a car, if you turn on, if you get a brand new car, you turn on all the sensors, it's like driving a pinball machine. There's lights, there's, there's alarms, things are buzzing, blaring. It's distracting. But all those things are alarm bells. And some of them probably are, are too much. When you're tempted to make a bad decision, don't beat yourself up like I'm this type of person. It's just, no, oh, I'm human. And let that be an alarm bell. I just pulled up my phone to buy something I don't need. And I've got a few other steps I need to do because I disconnected my credit card and I start feeling guilty. I'm like, nope, that's an alarm bell. It's like that buzzer on your car. If you get too close to the person in front of you, it doesn't mean you're a bad driver. Your car just let you know, here's the alarm. You're in dangerous territory right now. Let's pay extra close attention. So if you guys can set up those alarm bells in your life, it's not because you're a bad manager of finance. It's not because you're unhealthy and um, we need to change our identities. So like, we're not fat people trying to get fit. We might be people who are genuinely committed to our long-term health that struggle with our eating habits or that struggle to work out. Don't look at yourself as I'm broke, I'm bad with money. Look at yourself as I'm somebody who values freedom and wants to build a life of financial dependence, but I struggle with spending habits. Or I struggle to invest or I don't stay focused or I struggle with staying focused. But all these things you talk about, Elliot, they're normal and common human obstacles. We have to acknowledge them, but not beat ourselves up, acknowledge them and figure out a solution around them. 100%. And I think also recognizing that in different phases of your life, there are A, going to be different challenges and also a challenge that you may have not have found that difficult in the past, maybe something that has become challenging now, right? I can imagine that when we were teenagers, Chad, I don't know when you started your health and fitness journey, but I assume it was early on, it was much easier for us to get to the gym at that stage of our life than it is today when we're running businesses and have partners and you have kids as well and a family to run, right? And now we need maybe a little bit more accountability to make sure we get our training sessions in, for example. But if you told me that when I was a teenager, I'd be like, no, this is going to be easy for the rest of my life. But then you have other responsibilities. So 
you know, you might end up finding yourself in a position where, you know, you, you start to become quite comfortable with your finances, maybe some trauma of your past kicks in where you were never really able to spend like in a kind of lavish way. And all of a sudden that's becoming demanding now because you're actually earning enough money to do that. And now you have to kind of rein yourself in because you're like, well, now I have the choice, but there's even more temptations because I've got even more access than I had before. So I think, like you said, it's just recognizing that things change we go through different phases of our life and as long as we've got that accountability and that north star as well i think that's something that you really hammered home in the last conversation we had like knowing ultimately where we're heading to that can help us a lot but recognizing that there's going to be different obstacles this year compared to next year and compared to the next year and next year and so on right absolutely and you're right we go through different seasons in our life where the obstacles the challenges they evolve they change and that's where i think identity is so important and keeping those long-term goals in mind because the tactics and tools that worked for you when you were single or worked for you before you had kids or worked for you before you started the business, they might need to adapt. But it's that mentality and the other identity that I'm the type of person who, who does difficult things. I'm the type of person who sacrifices the future. I'm the type of person who treats people with, with kindness and love and respect. I'm the type of person who values the future version of me. Like those things allow you to see your current decisions through another lens. And just going back to what you said, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but not beating ourselves up for those temptations and all that. I'll be really honest. Like it's those little things that make a big difference. And this might sound silly, but one of the things that I started doing several years ago when I wanted to read more and one of the, the biggest regrets of my twenties, Elliot, was when I finished college, when I graduated college, I told myself I was no longer a student. It was a broken identity. It was a broken soundtrack that was playing in my life. I told myself that chapter of my life is over. I'm no longer a student. And I stopped reading. I was still learning, but not as intentional as I used to be. But in my mind, I told myself I was no longer a student. So in my 30s, when I started trying to recapture that and realizing I'd made a mistake and recrafting that identity that I am a lifelong learner, I am a perpetual student. I had to start making the habit of reading again. Getting a biochemistry degree kind of ruined me for that. I had to read so much <laughs> if I didn't want to read that I'm like, I'm not reading anything I don't have to. So what I did is I started putting the remote control, which used to be on a little coffee table. I started putting the remote control up on a shelf and I replaced it with a book. Now you'd be mm. surprised. This seems so silly. Like all I have to do is walk across the room. But when you're tired, it's after a long day, the kids are finally in bed. You've had to put two or three of them down multiple times. They keep getting <laughs> up and the bathroom, brush the teeth. Like you're exhausted, you're tired. You go sit down in your favorite chair. You look over, your remote's not there, but there is a book there. You're like, all right, I guess I'll pick this up and read it. And it's just those little tiny things that you can do to reshape your environment. And at first I had this weird soundtrack playing like, this is ridiculous. This is so stupid. Replacing <laughs> the remote control of the book is not gonna do anything. If I just shut those things down, I was like, just give it time, let's see. And I, so I was battling that identity and it really did make a difference. And so we have to get over like that cheesiness aspect. Like yeah. this is such a gimmick. This is something you would do for a child. Like you reward a child for going potty on the toilet. I'm not gonna reward myself for reading a book. But we need that, that same part of our brain that reacts to incentives like that. We still have it when we're 53, 30, or two, and we have to think that way. Like, what are the triggers and responses that we can manage without judging ourselves? 
Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think sometimes we think, well, it's so beneath us to try and use the tactics that we used when we were a child. But when did those ever stop working? They never did. We just decided to complicate things along the way. We still like positive reinforcement. We still like incentives, gamifying things and everything along those lines. Nothing changed. It's just that maybe the way that we're incentivized at work or the way that we've gone through our lives has kind of just changed and there's different ways of doing things those fundamentals still exist so i like that a lot i was actually speaking to a mindset coach or a life coach this morning on the podcast and she said the same thing she was like it might seem ridiculous at first but you kind of gotta you know when you're shaping that new identity and that narrative you gotta pull that red cart around with you full of all these beliefs and things and you obviously gotta take action as well but you've got to have those post-it notes on the mirror you've got to have those reminders because of you are reconditioning yourself. And even though it seems a little bit silly, I would rather feel a little bit silly than not get the results. So I think that that's a big learning takeaway and that's been reinforced twice in conversations that I've had today as well. And I want to stay on the point of community and I want to come back to the partner side of things as well. I think obviously the partner you choose, your spouse is going to have a major influence in how you use your finances and your financial health will stop as well. So when is the right moment in a relationship to start talking about finances? If you can, you can do it before the relationship even really blossoms. And you know, if, if somebody's engaged and <laughs> I know you just got engaged recently, so don't feel like I'm talking to just you, Elliot, but the sooner the better. Once you've committed yourself to another person, that's time for you guys to look at committing your financial paths as well. I don't mean you join finances necessarily right away, but you at least get those things out of the table. Like asking your partner, what is important to you? What is meaningful to you? Like, what would you want your life to look like uh-huh. if you never needed to work again? You know, what are your feelings about debt and investing? What are your experiences? And I think one of the best things that my wife and I ever did is we took a financial course. Some of your audience is probably familiar with, with Dave Ramsey and Financial Peace <laughs> University. It was kind of the forerunner to this. It was called Crown Financial. I don't even know if they still do it. But we got married on a Friday, the following Saturday. No. Yeah, we got married on Friday. The following week, one week later, we started this course. And we joked that first year of marriage, we fought about everything but finances. <laughs> but it, it got us on the same page. And it's not so much that, you know, if you're doing a Dave Ramsey course, you're working with our group or something like that. You don't have to do everything exactly the way it's laid out, but you got to be on the same page as one another. That's the most important thing. Even if you're taking 90% of somebody's tactics and strategies, but you agree on that 90, that's way better than one person at 100%, one person 80. Just think of like if a couple is trying to eat better and let's say they decide to do like keto or they're doing like a paleo thing or vegan or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's better that they do it maybe 90% of the way and maybe have a couple cheat meals in there, but they're doing it together rather than one person's doing the carnivore diet and one person's doing the vegan diet and they're constantly butting heads uh-huh. and they're, they're pulling against each other, right? Rather than pushing for each other. So to people that are already in relationship, start now. There's a Chinese proverb that says, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is today. So if you're in a relationship, you're in a marriage, and you haven't talked about it. This has been kind of a black box, taboo subject that starts small. You're not going to sit down and have like a two-hour marathon conversation where you have all your bills laid out. You're going to create a budget from scratch. Just start small. Like what would a win look like? If we talked about financial goals for the next year for 10 minutes, that's a huge, like, 
what vacations are important to us? Let's start planning those in advance or let's organize our debts. Just 10 minutes. We'll start a timer. After 10 minutes, we stop. We can only talk about it for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, what it does is it, it allows you to have a sense of finality because finances are never fixed. Just like your diet is never perfect. But if you give yourself a stopping point, it's easier to start. Like if you're trying to clean out your garage, you're like, oh my goodness, this is so overwhelming. It might take hours, hours, hours. It seems like an endless project. If you say, I'm going to start a timer, 30 minutes. I'm going to organize and clean. I'm going to start in this corner. After 30 minutes, I'm going to go reward myself with whatever. But do that with your finances. It might, it's going to feel like you're cleaning out a garage. It's messy. But start a timer and that's the win. You spent 10 minutes talking about your goals. You spent 15 minutes going over your list of debts and make a plan to have those conversations on a regular basis. Maybe it's once a week for 10 or 15 minutes. Maybe once a month, you have a little bit longer session. Maybe a couple times a year, you meet with a financial planner. You know, you're building that circle of folks around you. But having those conversations, making sure that you're on the same page as your partner and that you can at least come to common ground on disagreements. And here's the other thing why it's important to have structure around this, because typically there's gonna be one spouse that is more into it than the other. Mm. And that spouse who's into it is gonna feel like they're dragging the other one around. So you might have one spouse that they have an accounting background, they're really into this. And I mean, they could spend two hours going over the budget and going over investments and all that. But the other spouse is like, no, I would rather be waterboarded. I want nothing yeah. to do with it. But if they know, if the spouse who isn't into the money, if they know it's only going to last 10 minutes, it's only going to last 15 minutes, there's a measurable start and stop. It's easier to get into that conversation so they don't feel like they're signing up for a two-hour torture session. Yeah, I think that's super, super valuable. And I think that everything once you get started is way easier because you can actually see the progress that you're making, right? If you look at that garage and it just looks like an absolute chaotic mess, then, you know, it's always going to look like that until you actually start moving some things around. But once you've done those 10 minutes, even if you turn off yeah. that timer, someone's probably going to say, do you want to turn it back on for another 10 minutes? And then you keep going. And obviously you can go into a little bit of overkill with, you know, trying to do the whole thing in one day, but it encourages you and incentivizes you because if you're not only just seeing the mess, you're actually seeing the resolution of the mess. And although it might look pretty scary when you first do it, it does actually lead you to what you both ultimately want as well. And coming back to like spending habits and the influences that both of two sets of individuals are going to go through as well. I can imagine that society, culture, social media plays a big impact. I'm sure, you know, when you first started your career, maybe you weren't speaking about these type of things. Like we didn't maybe have Amazon as conveniently as we did today. We don't have Instagram and ads coming up all the time. How do you give people advice in this kind of modern era? And I guess, how are you going to give your children advice when they are essentially growing up in this world that's just so advanced from a technology standpoint and essentially guide them in a way in which they're not going to be kind of inundated by all of these temptations that are going to come? Because realistically, I grew up majority of the time without a cell phone. I got one, I think, when I was a teenager, and it was probably the same for you. And I don't even know when you first got your cell phone, so you have to let me know, but it's a different landscape right now. So what are your thoughts on kind of the modern generation going through that and those temptations that we're going to have from society, culture, and social media? So we've always had the wiring to live more in the moment. Like we talked about a few minutes ago, 
all these temptations, it doesn't make you bad. It makes you human. So yeah. we are naturally tempted by foods that taste good, by immediate pleasure, by the dopamine response we get from buying something. All those things are innate. But you're mm -hmm. right. When we're inundated with it now, we're up against it. Like previous generations didn't have the challenges in the same way. And they had challenges other ways. Like I would much rather be worried about spending too much on Amazon than, you know, being bombed in World War II or something. But I mean, the challenges are different and we need to come up with new strategies and tactics. And I can just tell you, looking around the world, what we do isn't working. And this isn't just finance. Look at the diabetes ep epidemic, the metabolic syndrome epidemic. What we are doing for health and fitness isn't working. Yeah. The strategies, the mindsets, the teaching is in place. It's not a knowledge problem. It's a behavior problem. And what we're doing is not working. We talked about marriage. Look at all the divorces. Look at the marriages that are technically still together, but they're people living like roommates. It's not working. The way we do family, the way we do finance, the way we do fitness, it isn't working. So we have to be willing to do something new, but doing something new in the face of being inundated with the way the rest of the world does it is super hard. That's why it's a big reason why the accountability and having that core group around you is so important. But I think taking pride in doing things different, not for the sake of doing them different, just I'm different, you know, I'm wearing a peacock hat because nobody has one, but doing it different with intentionality and realizing that I want different results than I see everybody else around me getting. So I have to be willing to accept a different pathway, which means probably limiting my exposure to all those things. We talk about alarms, but setting alarms or timers on your phone when you've reached a certain limit, like only allowing yourself maybe certain times a day to look at Instagram, to look at Facebook. Some of you people are watching this on Instagram, right? And thinking, what? He's telling us to get off here? <laughs> but it does say never, but creating boundaries around that. So maybe it's a certain period of day. Maybe that's how you reward yourself. Like, hey, I just got done with my workout and I'm going to go spend 15, 20 minutes on social media. But setting boundaries around that so it doesn't become all-consuming because we can't handle it. Human beings are not designed to handle the pressure that is placed on us. We're not designed to handle the stress and the burden of all the bad news. When you wake up in the morning and you open up your phone and in the last eight hours, you can see everything horrible that's happened in the entire world while you slept. We're not designed to carry that burden because the world has always been a scary place, but now we know what's going on across the globe instantaneously. It's too much. We're not designed to be bombarded 24 seven with ads that are targeted, not just for us in general, but for us specifically. Like they know what you like, they know what you search for, they know what you're interested in. These ads are targeted, not for somebody who is like you, but for you specifically. And our makeup, our genetic makeup, our wiring, it's not prepared for that. So we have to limit that and constrain that. And, and that's okay. It's okay that you don't see the latest TikTok video and things like that and know what the Kardashians ate for breakfast. Like it's okay to not know that stuff. And I'm not saying that we become uninformed, but we need to reduce the amount of information flooding into our heads because all data is not information. All information is not knowledge and not uh -huh. all knowledge is wisdom. So we need to be seeking out the right information, not just getting in as much input as we possibly can, because most of it is misinformation. And I would rather be uninformed than misinformed, but there's a happy medium where we can be informed on the right things rather than being bludgeoned by this constant force 
of misinformation, doom and gloom, keeping up with the Joneses, comparing our lives to others we shouldn't be comparing to, all those things, it wears down our resolve and makes it super hard to stay consistent. Yeah, absolutely. And I find that it's interesting that when you do take those breaks away from social media, when you do give yourself that opportunity to go on, the things that you genuinely want to see are at the top of your feed, right? And when you go and intentionally check the news, you find out the information that you genuinely want to see. And it's interesting that the things that you feel that you need to be constantly doing and constantly going on actually become way more rewarding when you do them less, right? Once you've spent five minutes on Instagram, after that, it's just kind of scrolling for the sake of scrolling. Once you've checked kind of some of the main headlines or the news that you're interested in, after that, you probably don't need to be that informed, to be completely honest, unless it's required in your job to be overly informed on any of those single things. So I think it's kind of the same as we know, like Netflix is a good example as well. If you take a month away from Netflix, guess how many shows are going to be on there that you genuinely want to see? However, if you go on there every single day, you're going to start being like, well, what do I watch tonight? And then you end up watching something that's pretty terrible just because you have nothing there. So I love that idea of like taking a step back away from things and putting those boundaries in place because the experience of the thing that you actually want to do usually gets richer as a byproduct of that as well. So I think it's an important thing to go through. And coming back to financial freedom and the identity that's created around that, because I think that that's a big thing that we have kind of hammered on in both of these conversations now is the identity of you know someone who is a healthy individual and then the identity of someone who's financially healthy as well. If you had to put it into certain characteristics, if you had to give this person who has the identity of a financially healthy and abundant person into certain characteristics and certain values, what five would those be? So for example, if it was health and fitness, you know, they might be someone who is a hard worker, you know, someone who is consistent and shows up. What would you say when it comes to the financial side of things, where it comes to the person's identity and their characteristics? I think they're the same. I think these characteristics are going to be the same. It's going to be discipline, intentionality, patience, faith in the future or optimism. And when I say that, this isn't like a Pollyanna type of optimism where everything is going to be wonderful. It's believing that there's a better future for yourself out there, but there's going to be a lot of trials and tribulations on the way to there. It's not going to be an easy road, but it'll be worth it. So yeah, discipline, intentionality, patience, faith in the future. And I don't know how to sum this up in a single word, but this idea of I think a willingness to sacrifice, of being willingness to embrace the uncomfortable, embrace the discomfort, and almost wearing that as a badge of honor. Not in like a, a martyrdom situation where, you know, there's people, I'm sure we all know them, who, you know, they have to tell you, oh, I'm fasting today, or they tell you about their horrible workout this morning and um, all the sacrifice. I'm not saying like, but wearing it as a badge of honor that I'm the type of person who is willing to do hard things to make a better future. So, I think those those characteristics, they're across the board. They're in fitness, they're in finances, they're in building a business, they're in building better relationships. But those are the crucial characteristics that I think people can build their identity around. And in fact, I just had somebody talking, she was a CFO, retired chief financial officer, and she's trying to turn her health stuff around. She's just like, I wish I had more discipline. And I was like, you were a CFO. You have a tremendous amount of discipline. But the story she was telling herself is, I don't have discipline in this area. I said, okay, you are a disciplined person. You just don't have those habits yet. You don't have those processes built in your exercise and your diet. You are disciplined. But she had created this broken soundtrack, this false narrative. And I just show her, I'd remind her, 
you are disciplined. Look at how it looks in this area of your life. We just need to open up that door so that discipline flows over here as well. Um, but identity is, is so crucial. And if, if people can create identities around those five characteristics, I think it's life-changing. Yeah, absolutely. And something that comes to my mind, and you've obviously nailed a lot of these things when it comes to your health and fitness and your finances as well. And something we discussed in our last conversation was your kind of Sunday fun day where you kind of just let loose on whatever food that you want to with the family, right? Do you ever have that concept applied to your finances as well? Yes. Yeah, we have planned splurges, right? Where we plan them out, we save for them in advance, whether it's a major purchase, maybe a big vacation, where it doesn't make a lot of financial sense, but we plan it in advance so it's not impulsive. And that's the huge thing with Sunday Funday. There's a huge difference between somebody saying like, hey, I've got a big event, a birthday, whatever coming up. I'm gonna have some cake and ice cream. I'll have some pizza. I'm gonna have a beer, whatever. You can enjoy the anticipation up to that and then enjoy the moment so much more. It's way different than somebody showing up at a party and they're wrestling with the decision and they give in. Because now they feel like a failure. They feel like they lost. They feel like yeah. their temptations beat them. If I know that this Sunday I'm going to have spaghetti and meatballs, not only am I not wrestling with this decision, I'm actually enjoying all the boring stuff I'm eating this week because I'm anticipating that good decision in the future. Yeah. And when I do enjoy it, there's no guilt. I already made a decision. This is okay. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to enjoy it. There's no guilt. And then I go back to my normal routine. It wasn't a habit. It's not slipping on the path. It's just celebrating along the path. So when it comes to finances, we absolutely do the same thing. And we've changed what these celebrations look like. They're bigger now, the more extravagant they used to be because we've gotten more momentum. We've gotten to a certain place. But I absolutely think that planning and some splurges is important. And some of those things, if somebody's trying to get their way out of debt, they're early on in this process, those splurges need to be very small and try to look at non-financial things. They have a, a relatively small financial cost. You know, maybe it's getting people together rather than buying dinner for everybody. It's you plan a potluck with your favorite people to celebrate. You just paid off a big health bill or something like that. And but you're not, you have to spend hundreds of dollars taking everybody out for dinner. You plan a potluck, but you still celebrate, you know, and you're spending some money, but it's a small splurge. But as people get further down their financial journey, those splurges can be bigger. But what it does is it rewards milestones. There's this pressure of temptation that kind of can build up. And it just lets some of that out because mm -hmm. we don't want it to burst, right? And you think about yeah. like an engine, an engine in a car, it's controlled combustion. You have small little explosions that drive those pistons. That's what makes your car go. So it makes your engine produce power. If those explosions build up, that pressure builds up, and then your spark plug ignites, you're gonna blow up your engine. So we need to let small little explosions relieve some of that. So however that needs to look for you, and sorry, this is getting really long-winded, but yeah, we do, but we plan these things in advance. They're intentional, they're not reactive, they're not impulsive. No, I think it's important because I think a lot of people look at that side of things and they ask, you know, when does the fun happen? When do I get to reintegrate parts that I do truly enjoy. I know that they shouldn't be there on a day-to-day -day basis, but I do want to bring them in. So it's nice to hear that. And also 
understanding that there's levels to it as well, right? Like maybe if you aren't necessarily in debt, but you reach your first financial saving goal, maybe the idea is to go on a weekend break and not like a week-long all-inclusive to the Dominican Republic, for example, right? It's kind of leveling your way up and that will come in the future, but it kind of has to be indirect ratio to where you're at with your finances and your long-term plans as well. But I like that. Do you have any suggestions in terms of frequency, but or does that depend on the person's goals, I guess? So great question. And I think not just frequency matters, but the specifics matter too, because you want to make sure it's not something that's triggering. If somebody is struggling with alcoholism, mm -hmm. celebrating a week of sobriety with a drink is a really bad idea. So if somebody is struggling with debt, doing something that requires them putting this money, putting that three-day trip on a credit card is not a good idea. Somebody who struggles with a bad relationship with food probably shouldn't have a Sunday fun day. They need to find another way to celebrate because they might not be able to get right back on the path. They might not be able to uh, get right back on So frequency matters. Um, the, the more frequent, the smaller the celebration needs to be. But we also need to be really mindful of our, of our triggers. And this is a lot of self-awareness. So I'm not triggered by food the way that some people are. So I'm able to celebrate in a certain way. And for some people, it might be just eating more of the healthy foods that they like. So maybe they're going to break their diet a little bit, but they're going to do that with their favorite healthy foods. So it might be like for me, one of my things is macadamia nuts. I love them, but they're super calorically dense. So you can yeah. overeat very quickly, but you know, maybe I'm just going to eat a little bit more of that. It's going to be a nice little snack, but it's not introducing a trigger food like an alcohol or maybe it's chips for somebody or ice cream where now they just want to binge and it takes three or four days to get them back on track. Yeah. The frequency and the volume really do matter, but also the specific. So for people listening, try to know what your triggers are in an area that you're going to change and make sure you're not engaging those triggers in that splurge. Yeah, I love that. And this couple of hours of our conversations have been an absolute financial masterclass. So thank you so much, Chad, for all the wisdom that you've shared with us and doing it in a way that makes it seem interesting and not boring whatsoever, relating it back to the fitness journey, being able to give really relatable answers and also allowing us to see ourselves within those situations. I think quite a lot of things you spoke about, I was able to directly insert myself into those and see how that would look on my life as well. So I appreciate the way you've expressed yourself and articulated all of those learnings that you've gained as well. And I want to wrap up with the reveal of obviously what you're looking towards in terms of this book and everything and what's coming up in terms of that pipeline. So tell us more about when the book will be out and what's coming. So the book will be out in the spring. In spring of 2024. But what we're going to do for your audience, Elliot, is if they visit forgingfinancialfreedom.com, they can give us their contact info. And when the Kindle version is available for pre-order, we'll allow them to order it for 99 cents. Amazon won't let us give it away for free, but we'll give it, they can pre-order a Kindle version for 99 cents. That'll be available in November. So if they visit forgingfinancialfreedom.com, give us your contact info. And we'll make sure that you guys have the opportunity to get that book for basically free. And, and also we'll keep you updated with some of the bonuses that we're going to be creating along the way just to help with the application. Because again, it's not just about the knowledge. It's about the execution and application. And you're going to find that a lot of the principles that we talked about right here, we expand more in the book and talk about how to apply those to everyday life. Amazing. Chad, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today, buddy. Hey, thank you so much. It's again, an honor to be here and really enjoyed our time. Once again, no surprise.
Thanks, Richard. Appreciate it. Thank you. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.